Hello, folks. This is your host, Dr. Graham Taylor. Before we jump into this week's episode, I have a special announcement. August 18th through the 20th, I've been invited to host a Triad Mental Health Summit. This virtual online conference showcases innovative trends and thought leaders in the mental health and behavioral health industry. Such speakers as Saj Razavi from the Psychedelic Somatic Institute, Kathleen Stengel from NeuroAbilities, Aaron Williams from the National Council, including live interviews I'll be conducting featuring Todd and Vanessa Steinberg from Comoso Design, Ron Anderson from Project Reclaim, and Lori Ignacio and Jody Gearson from the Hawaii Pro Bono Mental Health Center. This event is online and free to attend. So go to triadhq.com slash TMHS to learn more. Welcome to Behavioral Health Today, a podcast brought to you by the Triad Network. This podcast is designed to share trending topics occurring within the world and our communities and bring them a behavioral and mental health perspective. Welcome to Behavioral Health Today. I'm your host, Dr. Erin Elmore. Today, our guest is Fatty Skaker. Fatty is a theater educator of Syrian origin, an author and scholar who has directed, devised, and led applied theater work all over the world. Fatty holds a BA from the Higher Institute of Theatrical Arts in Damascus, an MA from Emerson College in Boston, and a PhD from the University of Texas at Austin. Fadi has published articles in multiple journals and co-wrote a published training manual on the use of applied theater as a tool to address human rights and women's equality issues in Jordan, in addition to a book on his work on applied theater and refugees. In addition to being a theater scholar, Fadi also has an has here, this is where I messed up lost. Also, that's why it's missing a word. In addition to being a theater scholar, Fadi is also an accomplished theater director whose work has been featured in university settings and most recently at the Wilma Theater in Philadelphia. Fadi actively leads community theater workshops focusing on human rights, social, personal change, and youth. Currently, Fadi is a professor of theater at the University of the Arts in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, teaching, directing, theater collaboration, and script analysis. We're so excited to have Fadi with us to talk about his experience with the theater and the expression of one's mental wellness through art. Welcome, Fadi. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. Yes, we're happy to have you. Well, as we get started, I know that that was a, a very detailed intro, but do you want to just tell us a little bit more informally what brought you into theater? Sure. I grew up in, in the suburbs of Damascus, Syria, and, and when I was growing up there, I thought that I would be studying English literature, so I decided to go to Damascus University and study English literature, and I was on a track to become English teacher after I graduated, and then I came across a book called Actor Prepares by Stanislavski, and that changed my life. Uh, mm -hmm. I read the book and it was diary of an actor going to the acting school. And I started thinking, where would I be able to study theater in, in Damascus? And I found out that the Higher Institute of Theatrical Arts is the place to study theater in Syria. And it's one of the best theater academies in the Arab region. At the same time, there was a rise in Syria and the in TV industry and TV serials industry and everyone who wants to be a star, they would go to this same institution. 
and graduate and either act or or write and direct for TV. So that was like, as like a young teenager, you know, I was like, oh, I'm going to be also a star, you know? So I started studying theater then and, uh, and I graduated and most of my, my colleagues at the time, like went to the TV industry, but I got this fellowship to study at Emerson College. And I was like, okay, I'm going to go to Emerson College, experience life in the West and come back to Syria and do TV, right? But then I took a course with Robbie McCauley and uh, the course was on community-based theater and using drama as tool to empower folks who are historically oppressed. And that changed my life for the second time. And I decided that I don't want to be a star anymore. I still want to be a director or like training actors writing, but I want to also focus on like, what's my role in, in this process? How can I be helpful and provide tools for the oppressed to express their voices and tell their stories and being visible in the public sphere, right? And theater mm -hmm. was, was a tool to do that. And then I, I finished my master's at Emerson. I went to, to do my PhD at UT Austin for the same reason, because like at the time UT Austin, and it still offers excellent PhD program in performance as public practice, mm -hmm. where we are trained to be artists, but also like active citizens and scholars at the same time all together, right? And I wrote my dissertation on uh, performing liminal citizenship, where I investigated the role of applied theater in empowering citizens to be active in their communities. And I finished my PhD and I decided to go back to the Middle East. I landed my first position at the University of Jordan in Amman, Jordan. I started teaching, directing, acting at the University of Jordan, but I still had my own practice outside the university where I was leading applied theater workshops in the communities and local communities to address mostly issues of men, women, equality within the Jordanian context. And then the Syrian war happened and in 2011, there was like, we can cut this. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, Syrian war is a very political word, but... I know, it's so fascinating. There's so many uh, angles you could go with on that. I know. And then in 2011, Arab Spring started in the Middle East and Syria was affected. And in a couple of years, thousands, hundreds, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of Syrian refugees started pouring to Jordan, and they built the biggest refugee camp in the, in the Middle East or even the world on the Syrian-Jordanian border. And the same organizations I used to work with on women and men equality in Jordan before the Syrian comes in approached me to work with the Syrian refugees, mostly because I'm Syrian originally, and they thought I would accept to work right away. Mm -hmm. But it took me a minute to do this work because I was resisting myself, the idea that people I'm very much connected with are now refugees. Right. And I'm, I'm obviously very familiar with the language, with the culture, with like specificities of what it means to be Syrian. And then like, I'm afraid to go to the refugee camp and find my friend of mine or relative, or if not, someone would remind me of someone, right? So I needed to, to do lots of digging inside myself to accept the fact that there is a tragedy happening in Syria and it's affecting the refugees. You know, it's producing lots of refugees coming to the all over the world and to Jordan. And I'm in Jordan and 
it's my responsibility to to do what I can within the knowledge I have to help address whatever I could address. So I started leading workshop with the Syrian refugees in Zatari camp and in, in Amman, because they were like Syrian refugees everywhere, like not even in the camp, but also like outside the camp, right? Mm -hmm. My work started to become more and more private. So my applied theater workshops that I started doing in Jordan were like, open for the public or like we would end it up with like, you know, a big presentation to the community. But then when I started doing work with the senior refugees, I started doing drama therapy where like people are like talking about their trauma, traumatic experiences. I felt like the need to make this public is not urgent. It's actually more therapeutic for the folks who are in the workshop with me. So I started doing that and then I moved to Europe. I lived in Germany in a bit. I was a fellow at, at Free University of Berlin, and I did some work with Syrian refugees there. And then I went to Portugal. I was professor there for a bit. And then I came back to the US like six years ago. Even when I was in Europe and here in the US, I still have like multiple hats. Like I'm all the time connected to academia. I'm professor. I teach directing. I do regional theater. I do educational theater, you know, but then all the time I'm connected with refugees issues with diasporic identities, you know, trying to amplify their voices, even if the workshops are private, but like I write, you know, I talk about it. So their voice is heard, their stories, their narratives are heard all the time. Yeah. So, yeah. So I would say my story is like very evolving. It started with like, I want to be a star and then like, oh yeah, I want to be a director. And then like, you know, I'm trying to offer drama tools for folks to express themselves. What a path. I mean, that's what I was thinking while you were speaking. It's, it's really, your journey is such an integration of so many things. And I love that it started, I think at a very relatable level, all of us as teenagers being kind of self-centered, right? You're thinking, I'm going to be a TV star. And, <laughs> and then it turned into, wow, this is, I really need to help my community. And it sounds like a lot of that perspective shift was part of your training, but still it's, it's developmentally appropriate to then think about how can I help the people around me and use these tools to make an impact on the world. But then it sounds like it took you by surprise that it became so intensely personal to be able to help a very specific group of Syrian refugees that, man, I can only imagine how that hit on your personal experience and the personal work you had to do to be able to hold space for those individuals and use your tools in that way. So it started as this big, like, I want to be famous. And now the work you do is very personal and quiet, but impactful. And I love how you were saying you're still taking what you hear from them and the sentiment and the trauma and the struggle they're going through and getting that message out there through writing. I love that you're still teaching, directing, leading workshops, working in the community. I love that you're doing all of it because it seems like they all do actually fit very well together, even though I'm sure you are switching your hats quite a bit. And and you also lived everywhere. So you're back in the States now. Yeah, stateside now? Yeah, I, okay. I'm Philadelphia, yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah, so I, I love also that you have that experience of, of seeing so many different cultures and areas because I'm sure that plays a work into your perspective too. Absolutely, yeah. I feel like I have a project going on for example, like I directed a play two years ago called I Want a Country, which is a play about the Greek economic crisis, right? Mm -hmm. like, where like 
Greeks are like leaving their country because they don't feel they belong anymore because of the financial situation. But the playwright is a friend of mine, so I, I took his permission to adapt it. And instead of making it specific to Greeks, it's about Syrian refugees leaving their home country. Uh, or the play I directed at the Wilma, which is about like a group of American actors trying to put on a Syrian play, but then they they would meet the playwright and find out that they got it wrong. So I'm doing lots of different mediums, but at the same time, it's like all about, yes, what, what does it mean to be someone who had to be moving, you know, mm -hmm. someone who had to leave their home country and start a new life somewhere else. And like, I'm trying to address that in multiple mediums, you know? And that's a huge trauma. That's mm -hmm. yeah, very significant trauma. How have you noticed, or can you explain for myself and our listeners who may not be familiar with theater as a medium, how can professional theater be used as a tool for healing? Right. In addition to its ability to express people's stories, it's always helpful for me to go back to Aristotle, right? May he rest in peace. <laughs> <laughs> you wrote a book called Much Poetics. Respect. <laughs> yes. The Poetics. And like in, in the Poetics, he's like analyzing what's a good recipe for a good story to be connected, right? And he talked about something called catharsis, right? Mm -hmm. If there is a cathartic moment in every story, that cathartic moment would be the point of connection where it would help people to deal with what they are going through. Because catharsis is specifically addressing two major emotions, fear and pity. So you're watching Hamlet, for example, as a spectator, right? And you are pitying Hamlet. You're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe that someone had to go back home and found his, his dad killed and his mom is married to someone else, right? And you are fearful that you'd be in Hamlet's position. Mm -hmm. And in some moments in the show, whether it's Hamlet or Adolf's King or any, any other play that has very clear character journey, right? And there's this cathartic moment, you would breathe in and say, thank God, this is not me, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And that would create some, some form of emotional release, cleansing, purge of emotions that would help you to you know to be to connect to the story and and try to reflect on your own life right yeah aristotle also talks about reversal every good character journey should have a reversal moment a reversal moment from ignorance to knowledge from being happy and good to being sad or there's reversal and mm -hmm. any moment of reversal is connected to another moment of awareness you become aware of something recognition you recognize what's happening right mm -hmm. so if you are a spectator attending a play and you are following a character journey and you feel cathartic moment and you identify this moments of reversal and recognition, you start to build an awareness about what's happening and start to reflect that on your life and have a perspective. So just watching play is therapeutic in itself. And this would explain why we are all connected to Netflix and Hulu and Hollywood and the movies, you know, because they're art forms. They are art forms and however they are far away from us, however they are like, I don't know, telling a story of 
someone living in Canada or like in LA, there has to be some form of a human experience that we share, right? Mm -hmm. With and you start right away reflect that and put it on. No, that uh, makes sense because any art form really, it, it's evocative, it's emotional, can connect across cultures. And so theater really, it, it truly is an art form. So this makes a lot of sense. And yeah. it reminds me of in the mental health world, narrative therapy is a type of therapy or an intervention. And it uses a lot of those art elements where watching something that's a little distant from you or hearing a story that's a little bit distant from you, it's a lot easier to take it in and be less defensive. And so people are more able to engage with it, whether that's emotionally or intellectually and see different perspectives. So I, yeah, I definitely could see how this would be a very valuable tool to help people heal. I use the, the word narrative all the time. And I, I love that you are using it in a way that's like mm. therapy. I recall here like many workshops I led where I would just ask the refugees to recall the journey that they got them where they are now, you know? Yeah. Uh, and remember like moments of hope and despair that they went through, they experienced during their journey. And then they would just start telling their stories, right? And building their narratives. And like, I would just sit and listen, right? And that was very powerful. Like talking about like even performative moments of like, you know, where you are sitting in a workshop and like someone is telling their stories and like, you know, you're just like listening to them right? Mm -hmm. and you are empathizing with them and you feel like you are seeing a whole flux of images. And while they are talking, they are also building perspective. And it's very important because oppressed folks usually don't own their narratives because mm -hmm. someone else would tell their stories. So mm -hmm. this is when like drama therapy and applied theater become very interesting because like Yes, I'm giving you the platform to build your own narrative. Tell us your own story, how you see it, right? You're right. That's a huge part of healing from trauma because you're a victim in trauma. So taking ownership, not saying what happened is okay in any way, but just that this is part of my story now and I need to become the hero again and move forward. Yeah, it reminds me, there's just research that shows that when someone goes through something really traumatic, being able to share about it and talk about it is a sign of healing. And the people mm -hmm. who don't talk about it or don't come up with a cohesive story about it struggle to heal. So we mm -hmm. know that's why I think they encourage survivors of the Jewish Holocaust to go to the museums and actually speak and share their story or go to schools and share their story. Not only because we all need to know what happened, but it's actually healing for the, the survivors. And then I used to work with kids a lot. And so there's a, a therapy program called TFCBT, Trauma-Focused Cognitive Behavioral Therapy. And when you adapt it for kids at the end of them literally creating like a, a storybook about what happened to them, the last module is they present it to whoever they want to, whether it's their entire family, just mom and dad. And it's very important as part of the healing for them to share their story. And sometimes they act it out. So it is a little bit like theater therapy. So as you're speaking about all of this, I'm just from the clinical lens, I'm making connections. And it's really, I think it's really powerful. We'll be right back after word from our sponsor. Most of us spend more time at work than anywhere else doing anything else. So why not spend that time in a job you love? Introducing Triad's Jobs Marketplace, the only job site dedicated specifically to behavioral and mental health professionals. Featuring more than 1,000 open jobs from dozens of behavioral and mental health employers and searchable by location, professional field, employment type, specialization, and more. 
Jobs Marketplace helps you find your next career opportunity. Full-time, part-time, or gig time, make the most of your time. To access Jobs Marketplace, register for your free professional account at hellotriad.com slash BHT. That's hellotriad.com slash BHT. And then click to Jobs Marketplace. If you're already a member of the Triad community, visit app.hellotriad.com slash jobs. That's app.hellotriad.com slash jobs. Visit us today and take your next career step tomorrow. And I love what you're saying about sharing is healing because like, if you have traumatic experience, like death in the family, what, what would happen? Like next day you start like calling the family members, the funeral home, the, 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 and like you get caught up with what you should be doing. You just like, don't have time to actually reflect on what happened. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. If you have a car accident, you just like need to fix the car and like call the insurance and like, and you are not processing that you just could have could have died. Yeah. You could have died in it. Like you are not processing this, right? And then we keep repressing these memories because we didn't share them, right? right. In, in in like structured way, you know. We keep them repressed like in our memories somewhere in the shelves of our brain, right? And suddenly like you are working and you you burst off crying or like you break down because you didn't deal with it, right? Yeah. It didn't so, get integrated. So then yeah. it has nowhere to go and it comes yeah. back. Yeah. Yeah. It will come back. So drama therapy becomes like really good answer for like, you could sit in safe space in a structured way, as you were saying, Erin, you are here for a reason because like you decided to be here. So we can talk about something you are comfortable talking about. So I came up with an exercise called the name exercise because this is lower risk, you know, mm-hmm. story. So if we are like in the room together, I would tell you, Erin, what does your name mean? Who named you? Like usually like the names stories are very interesting and like everyone has like, you know, and that could be like appetite for you, like to start telling me about yourself mm-hmm, mm-hmm. where like you are sharing the story and acting it out if you can, you know, and deal with it in a way that's like offering yourself perspective about it assessing it, reflecting on it, you know? Yeah. I really feel like we're doing very similar work, except yours is a lot more interesting and artistic and much more formal, (laughs) but it's really holding space and hearing stories and helping people own them, you know, it's therapy. (laughs) Well, do you have tricks, I guess, or tips to help people who might be resistant to the drama aspect or like opening up and sharing? How do you encourage them to just dive in and go for it? I don't try to push like someone like, you know, don't want to talk about it. It's fine. You know, okay. talk about it. If I feel like you're diving with it, we could just like start like dramatizing stuff about like name stories and like, how's your name connected to your personality? What are your memories of hearing your names being said, you know, mm-hmm. since you tried with them till now, you know, eventually people, if they are with you in the room, then they want to share, but like there might be some resistance sometimes and that's okay. Just like you don't have to address the the subject they come to right away, you know, Mm -hmm. because also when I'm working with like, you know, refugees, like their refugee story is very important, but they are also like, you know, they are doctors and lawyers and journalists and like they have very interesting things to talk about as well. Right. Mm -hmm. So 
we could also like do other things as well. So I I would trust the process and I like low risk acting games. Like there's like famous game, which is like try to draw a circle with your right hand and then like make triangle with the left hand and like try to make them together at the same time, you know, just like- <laughs> It's actually kind of difficult. <laughs> it's just difficult, but like <laughs> it loosen up. And like, you're like, you know, you laugh and like, I laugh when I'm trying to do it because like, you know, like, oh, can I You do look it? pretty funny, you know? yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, I would trust the process. It's helpful sometimes to get people from the community. If you are working with a community who's like really, let's say I'm working with a group of Jordanian women about like men, women, equality, and they're like, I'm male and I'm Syrian and like, I'm, you know, so mm -hmm. it might be helpful to get to the room someone who is like a Jordanian woman who's also interested in drama therapy to be my associate or like assistant so that like it would be this person, this associate person would be a bridge between me and the community I'm working with, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So that also would be helpful, not necessarily like leading the work, but like it, they might be even like part of the work, but like they established that they are here to help me because that will give a trust to the community that I'm trusted More by. More comfort. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Do you feel that anyone is pretty much ready to join these therapeutic type theater workshops? Or would you say that there's a certain type of individual or personality or readiness that you would like to see before they join? I feel like it's open for everyone and like anyone who's ready to go and do it, you know, they should be doing it. Some scholars who say like they, they prefer to have them like having certain level of theatrical experience, I would say not necessary because we are not producing a production. Right. This work oriented, what happens in the room stays in the room. We might act, you know, but like we're like doing that in the room, you know, we're not like opening up for the public, you know. So I would say any anyone could do it. I would probably be careful about like getting intergenerational folks to the room. So like if mm -hmm. someone's seven year old and someone was like 30, you know, I would try to be in the same age range, but otherwise I would I would be okay with anyone coming in. And is that cultural sensitivity or just a different shared experience of I the think, event? I think it's different shared experience, mm -hmm. you know, and like we talked about resistance, but like many people actually are willing to share and they might share too much. And like, I wouldn't know if this is appropriate for a child to listen to. Sure. No, that makes a lot of sense. Makes a lot of sense. I and mean, then, yeah, I'm sure your criteria is much different if you're talking about hiring your actors as a director, I'm sure then you probably do want a lot of experience, but yes, yes as far as the healing aspect of the workshops, that makes yeah. a good group. I think just if someone's willing to be vulnerable, it sounds like it would be a good thing for them. Absolutely. Yeah. And what are signs of post-traumatic growth? So, you know, in, in our field, we, when someone's been through a trauma, we look for markers of them growing or as Aristotle would say, I think you said a reversal. It's essentially the same idea. What are some signs that you see in these workshops where people are moving forward and healing? I really don't know because okay. I'm offering very small window in their world, right? So how, like, I don't know if any change that happened is happening because of me or something else that come. Mm -hmm. But I would like to attribute that to me, but like, well, you're, yeah. you're definitely a piece of it, but yes, I, I appreciate the humility of acknowledging yeah. there's, there's a lot of factors that go into some yeah, healing. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's, it's nice in some ways because you can just be present and meet people where right. they are. But I imagine in some ways it's also 
well, I mean, you can tell me, do you ever feel like it's overwhelming or tiring? Cause it's, it's not necessarily that you're getting immediate gratification for the work you do, which as therapists, we're also familiar with that, but yeah, you're, you're really meeting yeah. people in the middle of a tough time and just being there and then they move on and then you do the same thing with another group of people. So how do you keep from burnout yourself? So I took lots of notes on like lots of workshops I did. And during COVID, I started writing them down as monologues because I felt these stories were like burden on me mm-hmm. and I couldn't get rid of them. And at the same time, I was teaching at the University of the Arts and all the directing courses went from being face-to-face to being online. And I started encouraging my students to do drama, radio drama, right? And then I got that fund to turn these monologues into radio drama podcasts. So we produced, wow. yeah, we produced 10 episodes. It's on Spotify. It's called the Refugee Monologue Project. And it's just like 10 short monologues, you know, about t- stories that haunted me and I couldn't get rid of. And like during COVID, I wrote them down and like, you know, put them out there. Yeah. Yeah. So in a way that was your way of processing and then letting yeah. go of what was burdening you. I think that's super healthy. Yeah. Because the work you do is so meaningful and you're right that maybe it's just a small piece of someone's healing journey, or maybe it's a very large piece, but you have no way of assessing that. And you just continually show up and hold space and help them heal. Right. So it's important as therapists, we're trained that way too, of how do we make sure we recharge so we can keep doing this? Because it's, yeah, you're very humble about it, but it is very powerful work that you're doing. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this is so fascinating. Can I ask what projects you're working on now? I'm collaborating now with the Art Museum in Philadelphia, where they have a blog, and we are getting three refugees to the Art Museum asking them to identify two pieces of art. And we're going to like have three short videos for each one of them. One minute video. Oh, about cool. like Yeah. And it's like, it's not therapy, right? But like, it's, it fits within my big project, which is like making the refugee voice narrative stories, whatever you want to call it, visible in the public sphere everywhere. Absolutely. So, yeah. 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 And we definitely, you have a lot of projects going on, which is so interesting. And I'm always interested in a good podcast. So I'm actually going to download that later today and start listening. It sounds fascinating, but we can leave links to all of those in our show notes too. If our listeners are interested, it'll be there. Where could somebody learn more about University of the Arts and just you and your work in general so we could go to learn more about what you're doing? Absolutely. UArts.edu has lots of information about like the program. I teach at the directing, playwriting, and production program Okay. School of Theater. We have four programs, directing, the directing, playwriting, and production. We have musical theater. We have acting. We have technical theater. We encourage everyone to come and visit our website and come and be a student at UArts. Uh, I personally have... uh, academia.edu which all my academic work is there okay and my i have like regular instagram facebook twitter so okay yeah i mean this has been a really interesting conversation i'm i'm reflecting back at you know started with aristotle using words in your field that are very similar to concepts in mine even though they're they're different terms but catharsis and reversal and growth and healing and trauma and and really it's i just feel like you're in the trenches helping a very unique specific population that needs it right to heal and if if we all do that in our own unique area the world could definitely be a better place so i'm i'm grateful for your 
knowledge and your experience and the way you're just, you're just willing to be vulnerable and hold a vulnerable space for other people to heal. It's very important. Thank you. Thank you, Aaron. Yeah. Yeah. Anything else you want to add or leave our listeners with? Uh, yeah. Be well, everyone. Be well. <laughs> <laughs> I'm wondering if anyone will be more curious about integrating theater into their therapy work. I think our field is getting better at integrating art and drawing and expression and all of that. So I think this will be maybe interesting even for early career psychologists to to think about how they could incorporate some of this drama into the therapy Absolutely. work. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, thank you we so actually, much for taking yeah. the time. No, oh, go ahead. We actually started, just started like minor in art therapy at my university. So you could do drama, dance, music therapy. NYU has really good program as well. Like if anyone is interested, Nisha runs the drama therapy program, which is in their education school. It's a very good program as well. That's helpful. Yeah. And I know somatic therapy is on the rise as well. Just, you know, there's research about just moving our bodies and letting out the, the trauma and the tension is helpful too. And this kind of encompasses all of that. So, right. yeah. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to be here today. This is very interesting and we appreciate it. Thank you, Erin. Have a good day. Yeah. And I want to thank our listeners too for joining us. Just a reminder that the resources for this episode and an archive of all of our other episodes can be found on our webpage at triadhq.com slash BHT. And we look forward to having you back with us next time on Behavioral Health Today. We appreciate all the support from our community. And if you like our show, one of the best ways you can support it is by giving us a five-star rating and leaving a review. Behavioral Health Today is a podcast part of the Tribe Network, all rights reserved.